0: All right. Good evening. I hope you're well. You look well, mostly mostly I got Misty back there Uh, the uh, Zambia Hospital is one of the hospitals that Chris and I have visited in fact uh, uh, our time there we were with Deb's husband uh, Matt and so I'm going like man I know those sidewalks I know that surgical suite we watched uh, uh, surgery uh, in there and so uh, this is just a great great work we're able to do and able to participate with cure um, this week and so uh, if we haven't met my name is Jeff I know that some of you might be here for the first time this week I passed north of here in uh, Grand Rapids where Chris and I have served our uh, entire uh, adult lives at the same church a church called Ada Bible Church and that the the evening sessions evening sessions I'm speaking on the topic of a slow and steady faithfulness and so I have something for you or at least three three of you Uh, a few years back I wrote a book called dream big think small and the think small part is uh, just that getting up every day committing ourselves to something again and again and again and again Again, I didn't bring any copies to sell for a book table or anything like that, but if this topic really, really interests you, and if you would read it right away, grab one of these when we're done, uh, we're done this evening. And so there's something I, 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 di- I didn't tell you. I'm kind of nervous about uh, telling you about this, about myself. Um, I, uh, I, I, I am an award-winning athlete. <laughs> there, I said it. <laughs> I am an award-winning athlete. In fact, in my, in my basement, hibernating, hibernating in my basement, I've got shoe boxes filled with medals and awards from my athletic career. In fact, my only regret is that I didn't bring... Oh, hang on a second. I've got one right there. You know, you put these on in the morning, and you just forget. You forget you're carrying... You forget you're carrying them around, um, and this this medal right here happens to be from the 2008 Bayshore uh, Marathon. So it's at, you know you know uh, 14 14 years back marathon up north. And all all of my medals in my award-winning medal career say the same thing that this one says: finisher, <laughs> finisher. That is how I am an award. And by the way, running, running suits me. Running is the perfect sport for the marginally coordinated. Because you get to be involved in an athletic event, but as you're running, you don't have to throw anything, catch anything, kick anything, or tackle anybody. And so you just show up early in the morning and just kind of stand there on a line, and somebody says go, and you get to run for a really, really long time until you stop. That is running. So question, how many of you have a finisher's medal around your house or basement or attic somewhere? Okay. someone roped you into doing a 5K, maybe even a half marathon or a longer, so um, full disclosure, I have not run a marathon in like over 10 years, but I did run like a dozen of them, which I figured out one day was kind of enough to get the idea of the thing, uh, 26.2 mile running, running event. And so I just wanted to start there with this idea of a finisher's medal and this idea of finishing the race uh, because uh, it is a quote that we're going to take a look at uh, this evening which I believe can shape us and uh, mold us powerfully and uh, the quote is this, is my only aim, my only aim is to finish the race. It's a quote from scripture, happens to be the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, you want to know my aim? You want to know my goal? You want to know my only aim? My only aim is to what? Last words, my only aim is to what? Finish the race. Now, what's critical here is not just that he said that, but where he said that, who he said it to, which I think is uh, pretty important. So there's a map here, and up above, there's a town of Ephesus, all right? Ephesus, like the letter to the Ephesians was written to people in that basic geographic area. The Apostle Paul spent more time in Ephesus than in any other city that he visited. Almost three years of his life anchored in the city of Ephesus, and that wasn't accidental. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman world. It anchored trade on the, what's that, the eastern side of the Aegean Sea. In, uh, today, it would be like a Hong Kong or a New York City as far as trade and commerce is concerned. Ephesus was a major deal. Three years of his life, he leaves and then he's sailing to Jerusalem, and he needs to give kind of a farewell address, a farewell conversation with the leaders of the church in Ephesus that he's leaving behind. And so he doesn't go to Ephesus, but he sells south of Ephesus, another port city, uh, 40 or 50 miles away, I guess, It's called Miletus. So Paul sails to Miletus, he gathers the church leaders, travel south from Ephesus, and there he's going to give them his farewell address to them, and that is when he says, my only aim is to finish the race. And I believe that in he giving his aim to finish the race, he was challenging them to finish their race. When he says, my only aim is to finish the race. This is in Acts chapter 20. Read this someday. It ends with with them like bowing down and embracing on the shore before he takes off and weeping. And the reason they cried was because Paul told them, we're never going to see each other again. This wasn't goodbye for now. This was goodbye forever. This was goodbye, goodbye. And that is where Paul said, my only aim is to finish the race. Now, in the States, track and field is not your most major athletic event as far as a spectator viewership. I mean, way behind football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer. But, but back in the day, track and field was huge. And so uh, there's an image here of a Stadium that I've been to a few times. It's not far from Ephesus, hour and a half drive from Ephesus. It's in the city of Aphrodisias. And my friends, we're talking a 30,000 seat stadium in this town, 200 yards from tunnel to tunnel, 200, so our standard football field, 100 yards long, double that, and you've got the distance of the straightaway, and you'd have javelin, you'd have discus, you'd maybe have wrestling events, you'd also have running events, there were shorter running events, and there were longer running events, so when the Apostle Paul said, my only aim is to finish the race, he was speaking their language. He was speaking a language that, you know, because there's no televised sports, if you wanted to see an athletic event, you had to be there and hounds would show up by the thousands and tens of thousands to cheer on their local athletes against regional competitors and this is where Paul says my only aim is to finish the race there is an expression and it is used so often I'm afraid it is cliche just from overuse and it's the expression finishing well people say you don't want to finish well Uh, expression finishing well and um, Let's go back. Let's go back to that image, if we can, Emma. No? Uh, the, there we go. Often when we think of finishing well, we think the last few hundred yards of a race, kind of that moment when the, um, the finish line comes into view, and you just want to throw down with whatever you have left, empty the tank, and you, know, you, you want to finish well. It's usually, we think of it in terms of finish line experience, but this next image... I think finishing well has as much to do with the lonely middle miles. It's not just how we're finishing, it's how we're running. Um, Sobering thought. There are people who fail to finish well in their 60s and 70s because of deep disappointment in their 30s. There are people who fail to finish well near the end of their life, because of betrayal, desertion, abandonment. You feel that God has betrayed you, that God has not kept his promises, a level of disappointment or a sequence of disappointments or a major disappointment. There are people that fail to finish well because of something that happens in those middle miles. So when I use the term finishing well, you think, yeah, well, that's good for you, you know, good, for, good for people that are like 60 or something to think about finishing well. I think this is a conversation that is incredibly relevant for people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, because it's, how you finish is really about how you are running. So um, I plead with you to, to dial in to the four images that we're gonna look at together uh, this evening, these uh, four images from just kind of some running experiences that I've grouped together that I've had some uh, fun with, and uh, I, I hope that some at least one of these four images connects with you, and that you are able to uh, say, you know, that one's that one's kind of mine. I need to pay attention to that one. I don't know that they will all meet you uh, equally, but I believe these are critical to spiritual influence whether it's a church, whether it's a ministry we serve, whether it's spiritual influence at work or spiritual influence with our family, with our kids. And so, uh, four images. The first image is just about hills, just about hills. Now, there's a little 3.7 mile loop, little bike trail loop, real close to where I live, a couple miles away. i meet two or three buddies there, and we would run this loop, and we ran this for years together, but so we'd park, run this 3.7 mile loop, and then come up this hill leading back to the stop sign and then the parking lot on the other side of the street. This hill, this hill took me out twice. And by took me out, I mean sideways steps, like out of gas, oxygen debt, this hill took me out twice. I have a picture. Would you like to see the hill? Are you sure? Are you ready? You ready? There it is. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Jeff, two things. Number one, that's not a hill, that barely qualifies as an incline. And number two, dude, you need to get a physical. All right? But, but bef- it's this little. Incline. I took this picture in February when I was running it in February. And so uh, up to that stop. Set. But before that hill, there's this hill. Well, that's just a little incline, too. And before there's that hill, there's this hill. Little steeper hill. The beautiful thing about this hill, no lie, there's a cemetery up above on the right-hand side, which is perfect timing. <laughs> Because we've said to each other before, just in case I go down on this hill, just drag me in, save all the steps in the middle. So there's this hill, and before that hill, there's this hill. It's not, this is what I'm trying to say, this statement right here. It's not the hill you're on that gets you. It's a sequence of hills. And no, we are no longer talking about running. It's not the hill. Can you read this with me? Ready? It's not the hill you're on that gets you. Now, in life, hills are normal. You get rear ended, no one's in the hospital, no ICU, you get rear ended, but you've got to contact the insurance person, you've got to get quotes. Uh, you got to get a loaner car for a few days and that's it's a hill taking your kid into the med center to get an x-ray is it a break or is it a sprain and this disrupts your afternoon it's it's a hill Uh, having a conversation with someone at work that you manage and there are some punctuality issues and some tardiness issues and this is like conversation number four and you've got to say you don't understand this could be job threatening listen did you pay attention this is a hill a hard conversation at work is a hill appliance dies at your house and you gotta figure you gotta decide do do we repair or replace repair or replace which do we do uh these are hills hills are a major presentation at work Uh, students uh, exam exam week or a major exam hills are normal say that with me ready all all together hills are normal would it be too much of an exaggeration if i suggested that over the last two years in our lives someone has thrown in some extra hills there's like the normal hills the kind of drain you when there's one after another, after another, anybody have a work location adjustment deal where you started doing work from home and not from an office, anybody, anybody? Anybody had a season with their kids were not at home and you became a homeschooler one day? Okay, uh, any, uh, any uh, masking or vaccination challenges within your extended family, any of you? Where a woman goes, uh, I've got one sister. Uh, they will only go to an event where everybody's wearing a mask. And my brother, his wife, they refuse to go to any event uh, where masks are required. I'm trying to hold a birthday party for a first grader, and I need the negotiating skills of a hostage negotiator. Here, is it just me? Anybody else? feel like a few extra hills have been thrown in? So what I want you to do right now, I want you to turn someone near you and I want you to say, I deserve to be tired. Go. <laughs> you really do. But uh, it's, 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 not, it's not the hill you're on that gets you, it's a sequence of, now I'm not fixing anything right here, all I'm doing is describing. If you go through some season and you go, why am I so tired? I can't believe it. The refrigerator went out. We had someone come look at the refrigerator. Then I went and looked at refrigerators and I priced them, and it's exhausting me. What's wrong with me? That's a hill. It's not the hill you're on. It's probably the three hills you just came off of leading into that hill. It's not the hill you're on that gets you. It's the sequence of hills. May I speak to those of you who are chronically overcommitted? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask your spouse to raise their hand if you're over, committed. <laughs> chronically overcommitted. All right. Uh, let me just throw this out here as a possibility, as a possibility, uh, that often when you say yes to something, often we say yes to something because we're looking at the size of that single opportunity. We're not looking at the sequence of hills. Uh, when someone says it's a month and it's only a two-year commitment. Did they just ask you to make one commitment or 24? Uh, probably wise to ask, what other hills am I currently running? Did we agree to tear apart our kitchen and renovate? Are we moving? Do we have a daughter going off to college? Do we, you know. So what hills are we already on? It's not the hill you're on that gets you. It's the sequence of hills. Just, just word to the wise, before committing, stop, breathe. Breathe and go, yeah, that's an easy hill, but how many am I doing before that? Is this helpful? anyone, okay, this this, this language and this metaphor. But somebody's still going, dude, I don't care, you still need a physical. That hill still should not have taken that much out of you. Okay, image number two. Image number two is pace. (laughs) The guys that I was running with, they're younger, they're slimmer, they're fitter, they're faster. And so this 3.7-mile loop, for them, it was a strenuous jog, while for me, it was a hyperventilation festival, all right? Just looking at those guys, I know something. I know I have no business keeping up with them. So it's a Sunday morning, a marathon is uh, taking off. You're a spectator, you got a cup of coffee, you're wandering near the start. You see a a woman, she's like 34-ish, and you say, hey, hey, uh, uh, what do you hope to run today? Because everyone's got a target time. And she goes, uh, hoping to do 3.45, 3 hours, 45 minutes. You say, oh, awesome. And you go away and you say, "Uh, and that's, and she would say, that's 8.30s. I've got to run eight-minute, 30-second miles for 26.2 miles in order to get 3.45. And if he stopped and you said, hang on a second, can you run a seven-minute mile? Yeah, I can run a seven-minute mile. Can you run two seven-minute miles? Sure, I can run two seven-minute miles. Then why aren't you running this marathon at a seven-minute pace? And the answer is that for her, seven-minute miles are unsustainable unsustainable. And so my question for you in this conversation is just the life pace that you're running right now, is it a sustainable pace? And when you're running at a pace that is not sustainable and you find yourself in one of those conditions of chronic fatigue, not just weariness from time to time, but always really tired, I suggest that there's a possibility that you're attempting to run at a race that is not sustainable. And often when we're running at an unsustainable pace and we feel fatigued and we feel worn out and we feel burned out, we say the wrong thing to ourselves. We say, I need, finish the sentence for me, I need to take a vacation. Uh, let me help you. I need to take a, oh. I need to take a vacation. Uh, may I suggest that if you are running at an unsustainable pace, month after month after month, month after month after month, and year after year, seven days in the sun simply will not be enough to heal your tattered heart. So picture these two guys here. A uh, guy on the left is Andy Stanley, guy on the right is Carrie Newhoff. Carrie Newhoff does this leadership podcast. Andy Stanley, he's a pastor at North Point Church down in Atlanta. Uh, 10 months ago, on Kerry Newhoff's leadership podcast, there was a conversation between the two of them. I was listening to this podcast, so it was uh, September of uh, last year, if you wanna uh, look this up. It is, it is fascinating, I found it fascinating. and. Uh, Kerry Newhoff said something, and Andy Stanley stopped him and made him repeat it, and then he like, made him repeat it again, and this is what Kerry Newhoff said. Kerry Newhoff said, Time off will not heal you when your problem is how you spend time on. Yes, if you need to take your phone out and snap a picture of that, this is your moment. <laughs> time off will not heal you if your problem is how you spend your time off. And the next statement, which was even more powerful, A vacation is not an answer to an unsustainable pace, a sustainable pace is an answer to an unsustainable pace. Yes. Time off will not heal you when your problem is how you spend time on. And when I say Andy Stanley stopped him, it's like he carried off, he threw that out. And Andy says, wait a minute, wait a minute, time off will not heal you, and then carrying it when your time, and there, he's like, it's like Stanley was memorizing it word for word, time off will not heal you when your problem is how you spend time on, and the next one one more time. A uh, vacation is not an answer to an unsustainable pace. A sustainable pace is an answer to an unsustainable pace. If you score a sabbatical, months away, and yet the pace at which you're living, you're gonna get thrown right back into when that sabbatical is over, I am guessing that the benefits of that sabbatical are going to evaporate fairly fast. That will not get you through the next seven years if you're running at an unsustainable pace. One last thing on pace is just, and this also came out of that uh, podcast, this quote here says, build a life you don't want to escape from. by build a life he's talking about event selection the commitments we make how much we sign on to how much we're trying to do build the life that you don't want to escape from hey uh, look at me (laughs) when people get worn out and burned out people escape in all kinds of stuff escape into an affair I'm taking care of everybody. Who's going to take care of me? And suddenly there's a little voice that goes, I will. Escape into drug and alcohol use. Escape into just numbing out, zoning out, and checking out. We just shut down. A sustainable pace is about building the kind of life the kind of activity selection, the amount of things we commit to that you don't need, that you don't want to escape from. Image number two, uh, pace. Image number three is uh, recovery. (laughs) Look, I love that picture of that guy. (laughs) Uh, Back in my marathon days, even if you're running a 5K, you go sign in that morning or the day before and you, you know the packet pickup thing? You know, you write the check, you get your T-shirt and often there's a little plastic bag with some advertisements in it and some different things, your, your race bib or whatever. There's a marathon I ran several years ago and in it they put this, marathon tips for dummies. That was in my packet pickup. I'm going like, thank you, it's tomorrow. Marathon trip tips for dummies and the, thank you, but I looked at this first section and the first section was called after the marathon is over and I thought now that's useful. Now after running 26.2 miles, there are things that you want to do and there are things that you do not want to do. And in the list of after the marathon, <laughs> It pains me, it vexes me to even give you the list. But here we go. You need to drink something, preferably sports drink. I have been down in Gatorade for the if I drink, if I see Gatorade, I'm gonna puke. You need to eat something. I can't eat anything. You need to stretch. I can't touch my toes. I can't touch my thighs. I, your legs are so tight. Uh, you need to change out of your wet clothes and into your uh, into some dry clothes. And this thing, I need a hot tub. No, and I don't understand the physiology of it, but don't go for hot water, go for cold water, if possible, an ice bath. Now that sounds fun. And then next, the stupidest thing, you need to go for a walk of at least a couple miles this afternoon. Anyway, you to be kidding me two things two things number of the list number one rest or recovery is active and not passive there are things that you do to recover when you just want to sit there you just want to lay in the grass Stay in your wet clothes, not eat anything, drink anything. And the last thing you wanna, you wanna find a hot tub, last thing you wanna do is you know, uh, uh, take a walk or a jog that afternoon. And so number one, it, uh, recovery is active and not passive. And secondly, you don't wanna do, do any of those. And again, uh, we're, we're not talking about running here. We're talking about um, times in either your weekly rhythm, Or your annual rhythm or those rare things where there's just this major project that you have poured yourself into i think of like the church building programs that i've been to over the last few years on the big end on the small end just weekend services uh i I speak saturday and then two sunday morning services i am a social introvert but i get energy not from being with people and so i have more interactions before between and after weekend services than should be legally allowed for a person of my temperament. And so it's pouring myself out for three services and then all of the conversations that take place between, and some of those are heavy conversations. Uh, When I get home on Sunday afternoon, I need to think of recovery because how I recover Monday, if Sunday into Monday is gonna have a lot to do because then I'm gonna do it again, and then I'm gonna do it again, and then I'm gonna do it again. So this is what I mean by, uh, by recovery. So um, let, me, let me ask you a question, and I don't, I don't know what the answer is for you. The question is this. Um, what restores you? What restores you? Because what restores you might not restore somebody else. I'm just going to throw some things out, and if this one happens to restore you, just just wave your hand for a second, and let's just kind of see: uh, a walk in the woods or a nature trail, restorative; sitting beside a fire, fireplace inside, campfire outside; uh, looking at the pages of like a coffee table book and just seeing the art in a coffee table book. Okay, I got skunked on that one. <laughs> Draw, right back in, drawing or painting watching a classic movie that just kind of fills you a little bit. Water, anyone? Being near water, being by water, being on the water, being in the water. Axe throwing. <laughs> yes. All right, all right. We got one. Okay. Uh, give me, give me a handful of others. Just, you say, Jeff, this activity that I do, for some strange reason, it might not restore anybody else. It's just incredibly restorative to me. Just, what is it? Mountains, being near mountains. Listening to music, okay. We're working out with weights, okay. Sunrise. Oh, but you have to be up. <laughs> okay. Any others? What is that? Laughing with friends. Laughing with friends. A cry Okay, you, you get the idea. My challenge to you is this, you need to know what restores you. You need to figure out two or three things that restore you and you need to understand, when you are at your most fatigued, you might not want to engage in those things. You might just want to melt into a couch and watch the entire James Bond marathon with a large pepperoni pizza over the course of hours someone else going, go, yeah, that restores me. Uh, all right, well, uh, let me mention this. Let me mention, there, are, there is something, a category called non-restorative time wasters. That often when we are at our most depleted, rather than choosing a restorative event, it's easier and simpler to find ourselves doing things that don't really restore, but that we find ourselves sucked into a YouTube Vortex? Anybody, is it just me? You're looking up a restaurant and suddenly you see something? Heartthrobs of the 90s, where are they today? You would be shocked. I think I would be. (laughs) Whose net worth is greater, Venus Williams or Serena Williams? I think it's Serena, but how can I be sure? And three and a half hours later, you're looking up the lyrics to Hotel California and you're going, what have I done? I'm not going to waste my life this way, I need to check Instagram. Uh, so it's like the usual suspects would be like just internet stuff and you know Netflix. But uh, don't be surprised if you find yourself, when you're really worn out, drawn toward non-restorative time wasters. So you know what restores you and decide in advance. Uh, I've gone through the discipline before going into Sunday when I, it's going to be, ex- weekends are just psychologically draining and exhausting. When I go, okay, I come home, I eat lunch, I take a nap, and then like, okay, I got till three. And then we take a walk, we go out on the kayak, we take a bike ride, we do something, and it's like, get your body outside. Uh, more rest- restoration and recovery will happen out on a bike trail or out on a hiking trail than with a remote control in your hand or shopping future vacations on the internet. So beware of uh, non-restorative time wasters. I'm just assuming here that there are seasons where we all get worn out and where we need to think ahead and say, when I cross the finish line, what do I need to do Back in my marathoning days, literally, I would go, I'm crossing the finish line. I know where my dry clothes are. I will eat something. And Lake Michigan is right over there. And uh, we'll get something to eat, get something to drink, walk over to Lake Michigan, sit in the water for about 15 minutes. This Bayshore Marathon was a Memorial Day marathon. Uh, Lake Michigan was not warm and then change into dry clothes, and we will walk around Traverse City and find a place for a hamburger. It like cut my recovery time in half, but I had to choose to do it before I got to the race. All right, so know and then uh, decide. That's three images, what was the first image? First image is hills, it's not the hill you're on to get you. The second image is pace. A vacation is not a remedy for an unsustainable pace. A sustainable pace is a remedy for an unsustainable pace. And then the third one, uh, recovery. The fourth one's far more important than all the other three combined. Image number four is calling it grace. Because when Paul, the apostle, was meeting there in Miletus on the shore with these church leaders from Ephesus, and when he said, my only aim is to finish the race, he told them what his race was. This is the full verse. My only aim is to finish the race. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace he's meeting with these leaders he says, this is the last time we're ever gonna see each other they're sobbing in the harbor and he says I only want to finish the race I just want to continue to testify to bear witness to tell other people about the good news of God's grace a conversation about grace is a conversation about that aspect of God's character that is wildly generous he gives and he gives and he gives, not because I'm good, but because he's good, because he's like that. And I know some of you have been through a brutal last couple of years and maybe last couple months. And you go, Jeff, if I hear one more song about the goodness of God, I'm going to walk out. I don't know, maybe Paul had experienced the goodness of God, but I'm telling you, I haven't experienced the goodness of God. Uh, what had Paul experienced before he said those words? Second Corinthians, uh, Paul itemizes some of the experiences that he had. I received, once I was beaten up, uh, 39 lashes, uh, five separate times. Multiply that one out. His back must have been a maze of welts and bruises and scars. I was shipwrecked on three different occasions. I've had sleepless nights. I've known hunger. I've known cold. This was Paul's resume for his travels. He was still talking about the goodness of God's grace, (laughs) the good news of the generosity of God. He said, well, well, that was what was in his past. Things were probably going to turn and get a lot better. You think? (laughs) This is what he tells his friends in the harbor of Miletus. I don't know what's out there in the future for me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul, describe your past. It's been really, really hard. And what do you project for the future? It's gonna be really, really hard. What do you wanna do? I just wanna finish the race and continue to testify about the goodness of God. When we first see Paul the Apostle in our Bible, he's not the Paul the Apostle, he's known as Saul of Tarsus. And he's kicking in doors and he's arresting Christians. The first Christian martyr in the city of Jerusalem, a guy by the name of Stephen, Saul of Tarsus, is watching people's coats. I mean, you don't want to get blood splattered on your nice coat when you give this guy a lethal stoning. I don't think Paul ever got over the fact that God had rescued him. I don't think he ever got over the fact that Jesus had saved him. And it drove the rest of his life. My only aim, my only aim, I just want a finisher's medal. Paul, what does that look like? Just to continue to bear witness to the generosity of God in Christ. When I say that... uh, This fourth one, this deal about grace is probably more important than all the others combined. What I'm trying to say there is that I, I believe that what some of us in this room really, really, really need is a fresh encounter with the grace of God, a fresh encounter with the goodness of God. It is really, really hard to have dynamic spiritual influence in other people's life when we stop believing in the goodness of God a long time ago. That song, and I didn't know what songs we're gonna play before the message. There was that riff of that one song, His goodness is coming, after, is coming after me. His goodness is, I think that's taken from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Last line, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. King David is saying, goodness is tracking me down. That's so important because in our lives, in our worlds, there's just so much brokenness, but there's also beauty. Listen, beauty is stalking you. Beauty is tracking you down. God's goodness is tracking you down. The most amazing thing is it is not just that he shows his goodness in spite of those awful and ugly things that are going on. often in time, he will show his goodness in and through. Sometimes he makes beauty out of that. Not just in spite of that. if you walk out this evening and over time your heart has just kind of grown hard and resentful maybe a little bitter maybe you've just become a professional cynic uh, join the ranks of the terminally disillusioned (laughs) just that single statement just that single prayer gracious lord please give me a fresh encounter with your goodness I think that's the kind of prayer God might wanna answer. Often when I'm meeting with people who've gone through tragic, tragic, tragic situations, and they're right in the middle of it in our ministry, with full confidence, I can look at this person who is in the suffocating in grief, and I can say, I believe that God will meet you in a hundred unexpected ways with his goodness. I believe that God will show his goodness in a hundred unexpected ways. It's not going to make the grief go away. You're not going to get over this real soon. You will get through this someday, but I believe that God will show his goodness in a hundred unexpected ways. Can, can, if you felt yourself hardening over, can you pray, gracious God, I need, I need a fresh encounter with your goodness. What I'm trying to say is I want one of these to be yours. (laughs) A finisher's medal. When Paul told the elders of the Ephesian church in Miletus, my only aim is to finish the race testifying of God's grace, it's because he wanted that to be their only aim. (laughs) And their mission and their goal. To bear witness to the generosity of God. Can I pray for you? Gracious God, thank you, thank you that we had the ability to sit together, laugh together, and explore together. without knowing all of the personal dynamics in people's lives tonight, I just know that you would be very interested in visiting more than a couple people here with a fresh vision of your goodness. And so we ask that you would mold us and that you would shape us and that you would love us in ways that are tangible and that we know is your movement and your grace and your goodness. This we ask this day. In the name of Jesus, the gracious one. Amen.